Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Glad to have you on the podcast this week. Jennifer Bartlett. Hi, guys. Robbie Croyle. Hello. And myself, Logan. Kyle will be back soon. Fingers crossed. Fantastic. That was for you. That was for you, Kyle. All right. <clears throat> Shortcomings. I, I I don't know. I was falling asleep during the sermon, so I don't know if there was any shortcomings. Shortcoming was my lack of sleep the night before, but I didn't need to be awake for it. I wasn't preaching. Rob was preaching. Were there any shortcomings? Anything uh, you wanted to? Jen had one. What was your shortcoming? I don't remember. Oh. I genuinely don't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll run with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember what it was either. It was funny, though. I'm like, oh, that's a shortcoming. Is it a shortcoming if it doesn't happen during the sermon? Or during service, at least? It was kind of pre-service. What was it? Like, I genuinely have a memory of a like, goldfish. It was right after you walked in. I remember Rob saying we got our shortcoming. but And then I thought to myself, was it a shortcoming if it's outside of service? I suppose it could be. So, mock know. Jen. So, sure, we'll take it. I, I don't know. I don't remember what it was. We're all pretty tired from floating. Yeah. Three long hours. That was not a short float. Our yeah. three-hour tour yesterday. That's all I yeah. could think of was three-hour tour. Three-hour tour. Three-hour tour. I remember being an hour into the float, and I look at Google Maps, and the river on the beginning is really windy, so it's hard to tell, but I'm looking and going, I don't know if we win any place. Did we move? What's funny to me, I did that float like three weeks ago, like just a few days after you guys did. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I got from McClay Flats to the North Avenue Bridge quicker this time. And then it was everything else that took forever. So I don't know. I don't know. Huh. Who can know what the river is going to do? But it was a good time. Or the wiver. Or the wiver. Or the wiver. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, good times. Good times. All right. Well, let's dive into some footnoty goodness. Uh, You promised it to us, Rob. Hit me with that spreadsheet on love. (laughs) Give me all the data. Data, data, data. Yeah. Or the data. No, that's the guy in Star Trek. Is he data or is he data? He's data. Ah. <laughs> so data, again, data? John John talks about things to a greater degree than concepts, ideas. He's very conceptual. Talks, yep. Takes a word and will use it conceptually and talk about it uh, to a higher capacity mm-hmm. than uh, at a higher capacity level than than any of the other gospel writers. So. Uh, Maybe Matthew, to a greater degree? Matthew uses agape. There's two forms of the word agape. Um, he uses those two wor- two forms nine times in his gospel. Uh, Mark uses it five times. Luke uses it 14 times. John uses it 44 times in his gospel and 46 times in his first letter. That first letter is not long. <laughs> no. I mean, that's an impressive number to throw up for a gospel. Like, mm-hmm. okay, big term for the gospel. But then when you look at a five chapter letter that's not big chapters. No. 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 There's love all over the place, just spewing about. And then uh, I, I did find that um, in the Greek Septuagint, Agape is the primary word for love that's used throughout, um, at least from a perspective of 
were predominantly the love that God has for us, but also the love we are to express towards God. So when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind... Agape the Lord. It's agape. When you are to love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus 19... Agape. It is agape. Okay. All right, all right. Huh. Which makes the whole interaction between... Uh, Peter and and Jesus even that much more fascinating. Like Peter's really aware that his love is is doesn't quite measure up even to yeah the mm-hmm. scriptures or even to Torah. I guess is in his mind what what were the scriptures of that time. So then, my question becomes. Let's see if I can put this together in my brain. So in that interaction between Jesus and Peter on the beach, Peter, do you agape me? Yes, I phileo you, right? Right. What do you happen to know off the top of your head? Did you look up what the phileo usage in the Septuagint was? Yeah, it's it's minimal. I mean, there's agape is a couple hundred times, just like 15 times. So is that we we still probably translate that as where there we still say love in the English, but do they have multiple terms in Hebrew? No, it, it seemed to be the same word. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Intriguing. Now I, I'm not a linguist, so I'm not I'm not answering the question as a language. Just in my. Quick research, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just looking, um, I just to do some quick looking. Uh, it seemed to be a predominantly the same word. Interesting, because I don't expect. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't think Peter and Jesus were sitting there chatting in Greek. Mm-hmm. Right. That's unlikely. So that makes me wonder: was it just the vocal inflection? Why does John make the choice to use those different words? Is it like, I I guess in the English, we'd have the conversation. Jesus is talking with Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, bro, I love you. The bro is the modifier. It lessens it. Yeah, I love you, bro. Yeah, and I don't know if this just came out of uh, you know this deep friendship that that John and Peter have, and John and Peter later on are having a conversation, and remember that conversation, and like, um, mm. boy, if, boy, if we would have had that conversation in the Greek, it would have gone like this. You know, I don't, I don't sure. know. If- yeah, maybe. Yeah, they're they're deacon, they're deconstructing it later, and Peter's like, yeah, he knew I didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He's talking about a love like this, and I'm, you know, sure. ten out of ten love, and I'm like five out of ten love. Let's, you know, let's just keep it down here, Lord. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it was body language that John's picking up on because he's watching this conversation, or presumably he's, he's watching this conversation. Uh, the way he documents it, it, it's very clear. It's it's uh, in the Greek. It's it, very explicit. Mm-hmm. But how did John get to that conclusion? Because I agree with you. I doubt they were speaking Greek. Yeah. I Just a curious thought that I'd never actually kind of put to mind. Of mm-hmm. If they had a different word in the in the Hebrew that would have affected that. But. Yeah, and that's a question, again, for a linguist. Um, I did just some quick research. I didn't see... You don't have all the answers, Rob? Not I... not, Ugh. not most of them. Ugh. What the so heck? Disapp- so disappointed. Yeah, and the way I get to that answer is, is looking at the word... Um, the... The Greek word, and then going to the Blue Letter Bible and looking yep. up, um, and some of that's laborsome. You know, there's there's times I can. Sometimes those answers come quickly, 
Mm-hmm. Other times they're not so easy to mm-hmm. kind of dive into. But just a just a quick look. All right. So I feel like this segues into talking about agape in the Old Testament. Because we, we've talked now about how it uh, how it was translated from those old the Old Testament um, usages there, and you mentioned a couple of them. Is there any any anything else about agape in the Old Testament that we want to want to jabber about? Well, just that 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 was the predominant from a Greek Septuagint standpoint. That's the predominant word. Agape is is the predominant word that they. Okay. And so while the in the Hellenistic world it was not a common word it was however common for for the Hebrew thinkers. Uh, oh. Okay. Okay. Interesting. It's a good thing to pull from that. And I and I and I think in terms of like how that how that word is used and like if we if we had the ability to dissect, like, you know, have different forms of the word of love, I mean, we know, we know what kind of love people are talking about typically in context, right? Sure. In, in American culture, but what are pop culture sings about, talks about, writes about, um, makes movies about, uh, the agape kind of love is not the, um, fashionable. That's not what Madonna was singing about? No. Oh. <laughs> okay. It's not the fashionable conversation. It's not the conversation of the day. Well, who would have thought? Learn yeah. something. The Backstreet Boys were not talking about agape. Gosh. Childhood ruined. I was young when they were around. No, I'm trying to think of what song you're even thinking of. I don't know. I just assumed they sang about love. They're a boy band. They have to. At least pick a band that you know sings about love. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a band that you know under the bus. Sheesh. <laughs> um, I think that's... I feel like the entire... Ba- like, I had Millennium, the album, and I feel like the entire album was... I mean, they're all love songs or... For the most part, like they're infatuation songs. Yeah, that's true. They're phileo songs. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Maybe like, Eros. Maybe Eros, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that yeah, definitely more. Yeah. Eros yeah. More, less phileo. Maybe they had some bro bro bromance songs. Mm-hmm. I think of phileo as being bromance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah. Brotherly love. That's yeah. our that's our modern day translation, right? Perfect. It's the we got romance and bromance, and then ugh. that's what I'm calling agape, like vulnerable, actual, authentic love. Ugh. That ew, gross stuff. That's awesome. Right. Perfect. You know, yeah. like when a five year old's watching a movie and there's kissing. Ew, gross. Yeah, yeah. that's agape. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, oh, they might be saying that about Eros, too. They probably, they probably would be saying that. Probably uh, more likely about That's Eros. not a good analogy, Logan. Oh, Patrick. Oh, <laughs> oh Logan. Oh, playing man. Donald and Connell on myself here. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, well, let's <laughs> talk about... Pro- this is the $5 word for Propitiation. the day. Propitiation. I love that word. Propitiation. Propitiation. Um, man, that's a can of... I did not realize the can of worms that that word uh, has or is. <laughs> uh, let's open that guy up and see what pops out. Um, so... Insert can cracking sound here. The, you know, the standard Bible dictionary says propitiation is appeasing divine wrath, bringing mm. divine satisfaction. Mm. Mm. 
Um, okay. What's What's interesting though, um, it's related to the uh, it, it's related to um, Yom Yom Kippur, okay. the Day of Atonement. Um, but it's also the That's the one uh, where they uh, sacrifice the bull, right? And the 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 scapegoat, they do that whole thing. Uh, well, they sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Yeah, yeah. And that the idea of the mercy seat um, in in the book of Hebrews, when it, when it talks about the mercy seat, uh, it's the same Greek word um but that but that word has a tendency to in hebrew means to to cover hmm. and so um so many of our bibles will say uh that christ is our propitiation um some will say he's our expiation Okay. So uh, expiation is the acts of making amends or reparation for guilt or wrongdoing or atonement. So propitiation and expiation are, are, are pretty close. Most of my um, Bible dictionaries, you know, they, they, they focus in on this divine wrath that, that we got to make this God not so angry. Sure. Go to appease an angry God. Yeah. Um, so expiation, so this author says expiation means to make amends or to atone for. It implies the removal or cleansing of sin. It could also be seen as the removal of the reason for punishment. If Christ's atonement was only an expiation of sin, that meant that God acted as a subject that covered the sins of human beings so that God forgave it. Too much emphasis on expiation risks making God as only concerned about legal aspects of sin. Uh, Jesus merely covered the sin. Propitiation means to make favorable and refers to averting God's wrath against sinners. It is an act that appeared the total and full wrath of God's judgment for the human beings because of the appeasement completeness. Uh, propitiation is also understood as satisfaction. If Christ's atonement was only a propitiation, that means that God was a, was the object receiving the sin offerings, satisfying God's holy anger against towards sin, so that forgiven human beings could come to into the presence of God. Too much emphasis on propitiation risks making God. Uh, tyrannical and only concerned with appeasement, which is contrary to his character right, of righteousness and justice. Hmm. And so, yeah, there's um, how you define the word. I a, a little bit depends on, on I guess your perspective of, of what's happening, through atonement. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it is is God angry and therefore we have to make him not angry? You know, is that is that what's happening here? Yeah. Um, and I think we need to understand this through that Old Testament concept that we had this day of atonement. The Jews had a had the day of atonement. There was this one day where they where they fasted, they really reflected, and they still do this today. They they fast, they reflect on on their year, they really evaluate and and the practice as as Marty Solomon has talked about this, the practice that they take in, in doing this is this is not um a five minute process. This this is really like an all day, this is an event. Hmm. Um they they really uh, try to connect um, to their whole lives, you know, mm-hmm. in all the areas of their lives. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I, I think the question really begs, like, what, it, what is it that you picture Jesus is satisfying mm. through this process? Ultimately, what's happening here is that Old Testament process of, of, uh, of dealing with sin has been com- has been completed through Christ. That's that's ultimately what the picture is here. Mm-hmm. But again, if you picture God as an angry God, as a wrathful God, um, some someone that has to be um, satisfied. Because, because of your sin, then, then that's that's going to be your perspective, um, and you can use use that propitiation term. Um, right. Propitiation. There you go. I feel like this is more complex than I really have the ability to explain. It's a it's a high level concept mm-hmm. for sure, and but it I think that your 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 kind of conclusion there of it being <clears throat> of it being a your your theology kind of informing what word you're going to go with. Mm-hmm. We're seeing some of that in the translations, um, and the concept of God and and looking at him in as a as a wrathful, vengeful God that needs to be satiated, versus um, versus an, a, a different perspective. Uh, so this this obviously propitiation is a, a very heavily penal substitutionary atonement theory kind of word. Um, it's going to go along with that hand in hand. Wouldn't necessarily uh, jive with a theology that leans more towards. Uh, um, what would I? Which one would I pick that would that it wouldn't jive with? Well, um, solidarity, atonement. It wouldn't jive with solidarity atonement as well. Wouldn't necessarily clash with it, but maybe more than others. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what solidarity? Atonement uh, yeah, solidarity atonement in a, just a brief elevator pitch is um, the idea that Christ came to uh, in- incarnate so that he could live in solidarity with us, that he's God, God is coming to be with us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it ties in closely with moral exemplar, which would be the, he came to be the moral example mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of what, of what we should be. Um, but it's this God came down to be a part with us in order to show us and be with us and, and reunite us in that in that fashion. That's a a rough explanation of it. I mean, okay. that's another big, yeah, huge topic. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's a that's a thing. But I think the 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 concept of when when we're reading, if we start digging into some of those terms that we might not be familiar with, propitiation, for example, um, it's important to to understand where those are coming from Mm -hmm. and what they might be implying in their usage. Right. So not bad there. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. And I feel like the uh, different atonement theories, they, they have elements that are, helpful in explaining things, but then they have, each of the atonement theories actually have um, mm-hmm. some challenging pieces, some pieces that they, um, like these are, they're word pictures. They're they're trying to describe something yep. um, and take all these different concepts from, from a bunch of different scriptures and kind of distill them into a quicker way of talking about it. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, the penal substitution um, is probably the one that we're most familiar with. Um, and yeah, that's that's the most popular 
in the evangelical church for sure. Right. Um, Christus Victor uh, shows up in our worship music a lot. Uh, Christ being a conquering hero Mm -hmm. that's going to come and liberate us. Right. Save us from the evil, evil one. Um, Break us free from the prison, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you can just hear the lyrics coming out of these these phrases. Um, Let the chains fall. But... uh, yeah, those those two would probably be our most right. uh, familiar. Yeah, which penal substitution is just Christ dying that's, for our sins. Yeah, that's the lawyer kind of. It was I think it was actually come up with by a lawyer about three, two or three hundred years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe a little earlier than that even, um, but not. It's not very old. Right. Um. Yeah, I I, I agree. On, on the atonement theories, uh, I don't think one of them are right. Mm-hmm. I think they all have some truth in them, and they should all be used. And the more lenses we look at this thing with, the better we're going to understand what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's, ver- there's validity in a lot of them. So, you know, so there you go. But important to important to do uh, do a little work there and pull apart the words. So cool. Well, let's uh, <clears throat> we'll talk about truth through the lens of love here. Um, this was a, a concept that I was gonna have in my sermon a couple weeks ago, but then it just didn't. Uh, it was it was time to wrap it up, and I didn't want to dive into this at that point because I would have been there. It felt like I was going to be there a lot longer. So I didn't go there. <laughs> and then we were talking about maybe doing it this week because it kind of fit with the love thing. But then Rob was like, nah, and he didn't go there. So we're going there now. Let's we're go. We're going there. <clears throat> so in this letter, uh, a lot of times when you hear this, this first John taught, you will get this. Uh, it's this. It's set up as kind of this balance act of between truth and love, um, and and not even just First John, just in general, uh, in the church, a lot of times we'll hear this presented as well. We need to love people, but we gotta. We also have to, you know, embrace truth, right? And and it's a balancing act of if you're too much truth and not enough love, then you're a jerk. But if you're too much love and not enough truth, then you're wishy-washy. Right. And so it's it, we, we frame this as a balance. And I submit for the class to debate here that that is a false uh, false pretense or it's a, it's a false equivocacy or no, no, no not equivocy. Uh, it's just a bad way to look at it. Right. Like it's no, an oversimplification. It's well, and, and it's it, it's it's unnecessary to put those. It's not a. It's not an either. Mm-hmm. It's not a this or that. It's an either and. Um, it's a por qué no los dos? Why not both? Mm-hmm. Um, who says that truth and love don't jive together? Right. Um, and we do run into situations where it seems like the loving thing to do would be not to share some truth with somebody. Um, think of any time you've, uh, you've got a friend or a, a family member or a fellow Christian who's, who's doing something and you're like, that's sin, right? And it would be unloving for me that, to tell them that that's sin, right? Or, uh, or if I'm, I'm witnessing to people on the street, I need to call out, you know, repent, Mm-hmm. Because you guys are being a bunch of dirty heathens, right? Right. Uh, Jonah running to Nineveh. That wasn't loving. He was telling it well, but it was kind of. But and we'll play the mental gymnastics, right? In our in our heads of it's loving because you're you're saving them, and it truth it might be painful, but it's loving in that sense. Uh, and so if we fall on that heavily truth side, then we'll say, well, we're doing everything out of a, we're trying to save them lo- sort of love. Right. Uh, even if it doesn't feel good at mm-hmm. the, you know, it doesn't feel loving to them. 
Um, I'm sure if you ask anybody who pickets with Westboro Baptist, they would say that they're loving people by trying to beat them over the head with their truth. On the flip side, you can go full wishy-washy, right? And we've seen that happen all over the place, right? Um, But I don't think we need to do that. Right. Um, I think what John is saying here is that there, there is truth and there is love. And the tricky part here is which one we're looking... Are we looking at truth through a lens of love? Or are we going to look at love through a lens of truth? Right. Um, if we look at the... the If we're going to justify our, our hardline stance, the truther, you know, the truthy side of things, um, we're going to beat them over the head with their the truth. Um, you're looking at love through a lens of truth at that, at that point, I would say. Um, and we're going to justify our actions by, you know, we're, we're going to say that they're loving because we're being truthful. Um, but it, and on the wishy-washy side, a lot of times we just throw out the truth mm-hmm. in the name of love. You know, it's where we're not going to call anything, you know, right. it's almost Gnosticism. In a, in a sense of they're yeah we're just not going to address sin right and and John's not saying that uh, he's very clear he's very clear that you know their sin is something that we need to deal with absolutely yeah uh, he's very clear on that and he, he you know he talks about truth uh, truth is an important concept to John um, 22 times in the in his gospel um, compared to Matthew once Mark, um, three times Luke, three times. So twenty-two times in his yeah. gospel. Truth, big concept. How many times was love? Forty-four. Forty-four yeah. in the gospel. Yeah. Twenty-two and forty-four. Half as much. Oh, <laughs> that was perfect. I love it when that happens. Yeah. And the same for uh, his letters. For his letters. Yeah. How many it's times? Tw- Two-to-one ratio of love to truth. There might be something there, and, folks. Uh, in particular, First John. Um, Look at you go, John. Look he, at he you does go. Talk, he does talk about truth a little bit more, uh, higher ratio in, in Second John and Third John, but okay. those are shorter letters with very specific... Target audience. Yeah. Yeah, so truth is an important concept, and... and the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Um, mm-hmm. Truth is realized through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Like these are all concepts that John brings forward, and he talks about them. Um, and, and it's important to him. But I think you're right that the lens that we look through is, yeah, you know, how I share truth with you matters absolutely mm-hmm. and so this the, the but you end up with this kind of a little bit of a wrestling match here which is where we find this balance this balancing act right because this lens of well okay it feels like we got to balance it and then i came up with a with an idea of of what it looks like to look at to uh interact with people through a lens of love or look at truth with people through a lens of love versus the the opposite of a, a lens of truth, right? Okay. <clears throat> so the idea here is that if I choose to judge where someone is at spiritually, aka if I'm going to choose to judge where somebody is sinning, mm-hmm. that's the application in a lot of for a lot of us is where somebody's sinning. I'm gonna, Jen, you're sinning here. Mm-hmm. How dare you? I don't know. Put. Peanut butter on your pancakes. That's sin. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. Coming up with a random one here. Uh, so I'm calling out your sin of putting peanut butter on pancakes. Um, then what I'm doing, if I'm going to look at this through a lens of love, in order for me to identify this truth through a lens of love is, I am choosing to disciple you. The act of me calling this out and judging this is me saying, I am willing to step to the plate and I am willing to disciple you in this. 
Um, this means that I'm taking on all the responsibilities that that entails. You're making me pancakes. I'm going to have to make you pancakes. I'm going to have to sit down and have breakfast with you. And we're going to have to be in relationship for me to disciple you mm-hmm. and have you come to the realization that, you know, peanut butter on pancakes is a sin. Uh, I say that with all act- actual honesty, conviction. What, why do you people do these things? Stop it. Just stop it. Don't at me. Uh, but I, any, anyway, so the, the you know, but I'm going to disciple you in this, in this <laughs> sin of peanut butter on pancakes. Um, I didn't realize this was a real conviction. No. <laughs> I, I mean, people can be wrong. It's fine. Uh, it's not like a salvation issue or something here. It's just, they're just missing the mark. Um, <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> uh, How do you really feel? But if I'm not willing to disciple somebody, or if I'm not able to disciple somebody, um, or if that person is not willing to be discipled, mm-hmm. then it's probably better for me to not judge them or at least not. I It's, I, it's not going to help anybody if I'm just, it's the street preacher just hollering mm-hmm. at everybody. He should be discipling the people that he's convicting. Right. Right. And I think for, for us that if we're going to look at, at truth through a lens of, through a lens of love, we're going to look at essentially behavior improvement right. with people uh, in in a, in a spiritual fashion. Then, and we want to do it through a lens of love. Then we have to be willing to disciple them, right. and that relationship and that uh, that connectivity, that community, is where we see the love play out. And if you remove that, then you're looking at it through a lens of truth. Mm-hmm. And you're and you're you're throwing that out there, so judgment with discipleship, truth through a lens of love, judgment without discipleship, truth through or love through a lens of truth, or right. or something along that lines. You're looking at at things through a lens of truth. You're holding the truth more important than the love. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my thoughts. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if someone could try to disciple somebody but still have a look at love through the lens of truth like where truth becomes more important mm-hmm. in in their in their approach because sure. you got uh you got Shammai and Hillel right yeah yeah and um i think Hillel would agree with uh truth through the lens of love mm mm-hmm uh, but Shammai would probably... Love through the lens of truth. Love through the lens of truth. Like, truth always matters more. Mm-hmm. Obedience matters more Yeah. than love. Yeah. The most loving thing you could do is be obedient, which... Mm. Which, which John connects these ideas, right? That love and... Love and obedience are, yeah, they're they're conjoined at the hip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good point. That's a good point. So even within our discipling relationships, uh, we would need to choose, be actively choosing to walk that out. If love is really twice as important, I, I you know, usage does not necessarily mean importance, but I think in this case, the love is the is the overarching concept mm-hmm. here. Yeah, and the idea that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Yeah. Right. That idea um, just communicates it, and and grace coming before the truth, like that piece. Mm. Yeah. We were kind of talking about this topic at work today, um, just with we like when pastors are preaching on purity and um, statistics are showing that women who are either post-abortive or thinking of having abortion don't necessarily want to go to their pastor Mm. because they feel like they're going to get the truth. Like, well, you're supposed to wait to have sex until you're married and blah, 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 which yes, that's true. That is truth. 
too late now. Like, so how do you love that person and mm. still like, how do you hold the truth of that's the best choice, but still love the person in the choices that they've made? And so we were trying to figure that out. Hmm. <laughs> we didn't. You didn't, we're, didn't we're still, solve it? We're okay. still, yeah. You we're meeting again on. next week to. Okay. Well, I'm ready for the update. So you're trying to figure out what now? If a woman comes to, uh, there's statistics showing that women who are post-abortive will not go to their pastors to talk about it because of either feeling feeling shamed, feeling like they're going to be condemned or judged. And so how can CareNet help pastors use language that is pro-abundant life where they are speaking the truth but through the lens of love like Mm. so there's not condemnation and shame on the women that have already made the choice like so how do we help pastors wrap around those women and speak from the pulpit in a way that shares love in those situations, you know, like. Well, and the challenge there is you're talking about how do you have the conversation? It's a thousand conversations you have before the conversation comes up. That's right. To me, I think that's where the challenge comes. And, and I think it, it comes down to the consistent um, what what we see in Christ is he consistently approached uh, everybody's sin the exact same way mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. grace, yep, with love. Um, and so, yeah, the the difference that or the distinction is, I'm more like that post-abortive woman than I am Jesus, right. I mean, Jesus was sinless. I could, I can, um, I could say no one has, no one is condemning me. Therefore, neither do I condemn you. Right. Uh, Jesus was talking mm-hmm. about the crowd. Does does no one condemn you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. I, I think about the woman caught in adultery. Obviously, right. uh, that's kind of, I guess that's the uh, conversation that. Yeah. Um, would um, would define it for me what the what that process looks like. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think within the church, we have a lot of the people that are throwing the adulterous woman at the feet of Jesus, and they're not willing to look at their own sin. And so how do we help them flip the lens where they're not just only hard truth, but they're also uh, willing to love that woman? So that they can see that they're in the same spot that she's in. Mm. Yeah, and my personal approach. I didn't mean to derail us. I was just. No. <laughs> yeah. So straight up applied. So <laughs> nice job derailing. Um, mm-hmm. Uh. My personal approach on that is kind of back to what Logan was talking about as far as am I willing to disciple this person? Mm-hmm. Um, my first conversation with people is, hey, do you know Christ? Do you, do you, do you have a connection to Jesus? Because mm-hmm. if you don't have that, it's not going to... No right. amount of truth. Like the tr- truth's probably just going to make you mad at me. Right. Well, me dealing with your lifestyle choices, that's right. that's not the first discipleship conversation. The first discipleship conversation is what we see in the scriptures of have you met Jesus Christ? Like that's right. uh, Philip did, didn't talk to the eunuch about his lifestyle choices. He he talked to him about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's, you know, my first, yeah, you know, always first discipleship conversation. 
Yeah. Let me talk to you about grace. I will talk about my lifestyle choices and how they didn't work out so well. I'll share those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by implication, we probably have some similar lifestyle choices over, you know, comparative lifestyle choices. And so I could talk about, but until I get into the whole conversation about your situation, like that, yeah, that's, uh, that would be many, many, many conversations. If, and if I'm not going to disciple, I'm not going to spend the time to disciple you, then I'm probably not going to go into all those conversations. I'm going to connect right. you to the person that will, that will disciple you. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the... Interesting. Yep. I don't think you're... That's not necessarily the normal approach, though. No, it's for not. If those, if those stats are, are being honest. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, shall we wrap up with a little discussion of only begotten? Mm. <clears throat> just a little tidbit. Yeah, just a little tidbit. A little, a little tasty tidbit. Mm, tasty footnote. So I'm getting out this out of the uh, IVP background uh, commentary. What does IVP stand for? Uh, InterVarsity Press. InterVarsity Press. All right. All right. So um, John refers to Jesus as um, God's only begotten Son. All right. And. Uh, Apparently, it's literally special or beloved. Okay. The special or beloved son, and it was often applied in Jewish literature to Isaac. Oh. We know Well, that him. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. B- the beloved son, or uh-huh. only son, well, not technically only son, Sarah's only son. Uh-huh. But he says, oh, when, when yeah. he's told to offer a son, it's... Your yeah. beloved. Yeah. Right. The promised son. Yeah. Yeah. The favored one. Uh-huh. Fantastic. So some connection there. Okay. Uh, Isaac is the promised one. The Messiah is the promised one. Mm. Um, Abraham was to offer his son. God provided a... Um, Substitute, and uh, if you buy into substitutionary atonement theory, <laughs> Christ is our substitute. There you go. Um, so, I mean, there's some, there's definitely language within scriptures that points to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I found that interesting. That is interesting. That is interesting. And I mean, that kind of maybe a little insight into, I mean, that's why John picks that. Like we, and that's, uh, that's out of 316, correct? Yeah. I mean. It's out of 316, but it's also, uh, it's also in first John. Yeah. I'm just thinking that, that, I mean, we quote that so often, but we, the, the, the concept of, of being, you know, only begotten. Right. Only begotten son. We kind of just probably flow right over that. Yep. First John four nine. Four nine. That was really short. Well, first John was only four nine. Never mind. Oh, brother. (laughs) (laughs) The look of confusion was palpable. Oh, you know what? That joke fell short. <clears throat> that was, uh, nevertheless, that was glorious. Super dope. Super. All right, all right, all right. Well, you got them all, so. <laughs> Phantasmagorical. All right. Well, <laughs> we have, yep, nothing good will come out of the rest of this episode, so. Mike, keep running. Keep running, Mike. You're doing fantastic. Somebody send us an email at info at missionridge.church. Unless you put... If it's to tell me that you're putting peanut butter on pancakes, 
I don't want to hear that. Just go repent. What mm. do you put on your pancakes? Maple syrup. Okay. Or apricot syrup or apricot syrup, however you want to say it. I'm okay with either. Now, are we talking maple syrup or are we talking about syrup? Maple flavored syrup. No, like actual maple syrup. Not the not the, 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 the fake crap. The cornflake version? No, no, no. Because... I I'll put, do that in a pinch, but actual maple syrup mm-hmm. or some sort of jam concoction syrup. All right. Like, absolutely. I put peanut butter on my pancakes, but I put, do you syrup, really? I put syrup on it as well. That's almost, that's re- like, re- I, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I'll use peanut butter to not have as much sugar. Ugh. It's surrounded. It's basically bread. Yeah. Nope. It's not. It's not yeah. okay. Yeah. It's well, not what, a pancake. Okay. Topping. Do you put peanut butter on your waffles? No. What is wrong Absolutely with you? Absolutely not. Does, oh, am I in the minority on this? Absolutely, you are. There's so mm. much sin. Sin abounds. And waffles I, with peanut butter. So many people oh my missing gosh. the mark here. Waffles in each little hole has some peanut butter and some syrup. Oh my gosh, I just want waffles now. <laughs> you guys are making me hungry. I'm going to go pray for all of you. Uh, this has Crunch. been an episode of Footnotes. You're so weird. We'll see you again next time. Peace. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more footnotes.